listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. Welcome to SBS On The Money from the SBS Newsroom for this Wednesday, the 25th of November 2020. It is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap. Later, with the borders reopening, know your refund rights when it comes to travelling. But first, to the Australian share market, which virtually wiped the losses made this year, the ASX 200 up 0.6% to 6,683. It started the year at 6,684. Either way, it is a fresh nine-month high. Uh, The market is only down 6.7% from the March record high pre-pandemic, and it follows a record close on the Dow Jones Industrial Average on the uh, New York uh, Stock Exchange overnight. Here, BHP led the gains up by 3%, NAB up by 3.1%. Energy players like Origin added 4%. Stocks tilted to the reopening of borders also did well. The likes of Flight Centre adding 8.9%. But those that did well during the pandemic, like retailers and technology stocks, fell. For more on the day's action, I spoke earlier with Junbei Lu from Tribeca Investment Partners. Junbei, the market's pretty much on a terror, not just here, but overseas as well. Is all of this optimism warranted? Oh, absolutely. Look, um, uh, the market obviously was sold off leading up into the US elections and now it's really just taking the time to come back to where it should be. Um, we got the vaccine on the way. We've got, um, you know, a unprecedented um, stimulus across the world. Um, things are looking pretty strong at the moment. Do you see continued strength, though, and to what extent? Uh, honestly, we have rallied pretty hard this month. I think the ASX 200 is over more than 12 percent. Uh, look, there might be a chance of for pullback, um, but that's really just a healthy uh, pullback before we uh, we take off again. Because the earnings profile over the next couple of years is looking pretty uh, for a lot of companies, given their earnings were impacted by the COVID-related uh, shutdown. Is there any value in the market right now, and where is it hidden? Look, we actually see a lot of value in the market, particularly those sectors that's being impacted by COVID. Um, so if you look at the sectors such as or companies such as uh, Sydney Airport or Qantas, um, you know, because their earnings will return to growth in the next 12 months. And if you look at the shopping centers, they're still trading at a big discount to their um, real asset valuation because of the lockdown. Um, so we see a lot of value in this market. Uh, in terms of where the market went today, where did the gains come from? Look, the gains mainly come from, so we see very strong gain in oil and resources and, of course, financials. Bank just going from strength to strength. It's really because they lagged um, everything else in the last 8 to 12 months. Um, So um, on that basis, they are sort of just catching up. uh, But the oil is really play on the pickup in a global growth outlook. Uh, If we talk some stock specifics today, Harvey Norman saw a a huge 160% surge in pre-tax profit in the first four months of this financial year. But can this type of growth be sustained, not just for it, but, but for other similar retailers? I think for retailers, it does look challenging on a 12-month view because next year, when you have to cycle that kind of big 
number is just not likely. But for now, we do expect Christmas to be strong for them, just considering how strong the um, housing market is when people buy new houses, they will go out and buy new furniture. So um, on that basis, in six-month view, they still look pretty good. And just finally, what do you see as the main risks to the market at the moment, both short-term, given we've seen this 13% rise in November, and then I guess medium to longer term? Look, for the short term, the risk is definitely because um, definitely because of the economic data, especially globally. We're seeing the second wave picking up uh, quite a lot of momentum across US and across Europe. With the market uh, rallying the way it is, the earnings may disappoint in the next three months when we come reporting season. Domestically, we're actually seeing things pretty strong, but it's just the impact on the sentiment for the short term, given how bullish everyone is at this point. But over the longer term, we actually think the market looks very strong strong because, uh, you know, moving past the um, the COVID lockdown and moving past the election uncertainty, we actually think equity market looks good on a two-year view. Junbei Lu there from Tribeca Investment uh, Partners. Now, expanding on what she was talking there about some of the risks, uh, one of the key things supporting the market right now is stimulus, especially government stimulus. But a new report from AMP Capital says wage subsidies are masking the true employment environment globally. So what does that mean and where to? For more, I spoke earlier with AMP Capital senior economist Diana Messina. How does Australia's labour market compare with the likes of, say, Europe, where we do see some of these wage subsidies, and then the US, which doesn't necessarily have it? Well, in Australia, our labour force, our, our employment situation has actually done extremely well compared to the rest of the world. Obviously, JobKeeper has kept a lot of people employed. Actually, there does seem to be a larger chunk of the labour force that is on these wage subsidy schemes, and for that reason their unemployment rates haven't risen as much as they have in Australia or in the US. The problem, though, with that is that Europe's effective unemployment rate is much higher than where we have it here in Australia. For example, at the peak of COVID, their effective unemployment rate, I've calculated, was close to about 30%, whereas our peak was close to about 15%. So Europe still has a lot of issues in masking some of these people uh, these underemployed people or people that are on these wage subsidy schemes. In the US, it's a little bit different. People who are stood down or not not going to work, they're actually included as unemployed. But the unemployment rates in the US and Europe are actually quite comparable at this stage. So do you see the actual headline unemployment rates both locally and overseas rising then? It depends on what happens with wage subsidy schemes and also reopening of the economy. In Australia, because we've managed to keep COVID-19 under control across the whole country over the, over the past few weeks, and I'm talking about the reopening in Melbourne here as well, I think that the unemployment rate can probably stay at its current level, maybe increase a little bit further once JobKeeper finishes, but I don't see a big spike up above 75 or 8% because our mobility in Australia is increasing and because we have COVID-19 under control. But across other parts of the world, in the US, I think that there's still a big risk for higher unemployment rates there. Europe, they're still going to be using their wage subsidy schemes into 2021. But any changes to those schemes, any changes to eligibility for those schemes will cause a big increase in their unemployment rate, especially because they have such high cases of COVID-19 at the moment. So when it comes to Australia, can we afford to wind it back as we expect in March? 
I think by March, if we are in the situation in Australia that we're at the moment where cases of the virus are extremely low, where mobility continues to increase across Australia, where restrictions continue to be eased, I think that JobKeeper can be wound back to some extent because you have other policies that are going to be offsetting it. For example, you have the government's JobMaker program, which is one offset for the labour force. You also have the JobSeeker coronavirus supplement, which has been extended now and I think is actually probably likely to remain at a higher level than where it was before COVID, probably for, 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 for forever now. I don't think it will ever go back to its pre-COVID levels. Uh, but it does depend on what mobility is like in March. And also the government might want to consider implementing the next stage of, of tax cuts that it didn't put through in the October budget. It might want to put those through next year. So you have these offsets when you're winding back one program. And just finally, and back to this market optimism story, um, even though it seems like we may have already peaked with our unemployment rate, the fact that you were mentioning that the US and Europe may see some challenges with the labour market there, is that likely to flow through to, into global markets, do you think? I think any potential changes to these to wage subsidy schemes or even the lack of fiscal spending in the US, they're still arguing about a fiscal spending package in the US and the market is still pricing in a good chance that it happens in the new year. If you don't see that fiscal stimulus come through and the unemployment benefits for US workers expire at the end of December, if there's any changes to wage subsidy schemes in Europe next year, I think it's still a big risk for markets. We have a lot of optimism at the moment because we've had three good news stories around vaccines. Uh, the Biden election, I think, has removed election uncertainty from share markets. But the risks around a higher unemployment rate, I think, are still a big issue for markets looking into 2021. Diana Messina there from AMP Capital. And late today, we heard from global ratings agency Moody's of those wage subsidies locally, it said. The Australian government's substantial policy response is helping viable companies survive, adding that Australia was unlikely to face a lasting drop in potential growth. That's despite the pandemic, meaning its AAA credit rating may likely remain. So that's good news. Finally, let's talk complaints made to the HLC this year. On the top of that list, travel. It received more than 24,000 complaints about travel. That's up 497%. So what now? And how do you protect yourself given that borders are reopening if you do want to book a travel uh, or a ticket or a fare to go interstate? I spoke earlier with Sarah Corp. She is the HLC Commissioner. I can imagine there'd be a multitude of things that these complaints cover, but what are the themes, what are the main things consumers are complaining about? I think what consumers really want to understand is, look, what are my rights? If I can't fly or if I can't stay in this hotel because of a government-imposed restriction, then, you know, what am I entitled to? The complexity of that is that there is no uh, straightforward one answer or one size fits all. Unfortunately, in relation to cancellations due to government restrictions, for example, the consumer guarantees no longer apply. And so you're not automatically entitled to a refund like you would be if you'd paid for something and you didn't get it in a normal circumstance. So what we're seeing now with consumer rights uh, and remedies is they are governed effectively by the terms and conditions of each individual travel contract as it stood at the time the, uh, the travel was purchased. So in terms of the balance of... I guess, negotiating power. How do you go about 
resolving these uh, conflicts or these issues? Yes, look, we've recognised that there are consumers that are doing it very tough and there are also travel agents and small businesses that are doing it very tough as well in this uh, situation of the pandemic. What we've really been trying to do is to work behind the scenes with a huge range of businesses from big right through to small, have a look at the terms and conditions that applied uh, at the time that the travel uh, or accommodation was purchased, and then work with those businesses and the consumers involved to see if we can achieve a good outcome, a good fair outcome uh, for consumers. And now that borders are starting to reopen domestically anyway, what's your advice to consumers when booking, especially if potentially they're using money or if they're using credits that they may have received during COVID-19 cancellations? Well, what I would be really looking at, I think we're all very keen to get back on planes again, uh, but what you really need to be careful about is what does apply if I don't travel? So we know that there might be another restriction imposed or a lockdown imposed. I live in Adelaide, uh, so we had an unexpected lockdown um, uh, not very long ago. So what happens in that circumstance? What is the airline or the hotel telling you? And they are being much more upfront and transparent. Generally, we're seeing about that situation. But then the flip side of that is, well, look, what if there's not a lockdown, but I just suddenly don't feel comfortable about travelling? You know, What would be my rights if I suddenly changed my mind and I didn't want to fly. So I would very much encourage people to look very carefully and think about, well, look, what could happen? And if that did, what would my rights be? I hope this doesn't sound like a silly question, but how does a consumer find out what their rights are? What kind of information do do they need to go through? Because often we say, look through the terms and conditions, but that can be quite complex for the average consumer. Indeed, and I'm not for a minute suggesting people should be looking through that fine print of a term and condition because none of us want to spend our time doing that. But a number of the airlines are really putting up front um, in their their headlines or on their uh, home pages. You know, you can book with us with confidence because if you can't travel, this is what you'll be entitled to. For example, you know, credits might go through to the end of 2023, for example, is one example I've seen recently. So I certainly don't think it's reasonable for consumers to be wading through, you know, pages of fine print. But many tour operators, accommodation providers, airlines and the like are being very upfront on their home pages about what you can expect if you change your mind and you don't want to cancel. And it's those representations that you can uh, you can rely on. Sarah Court there from the HPC. That is SBS on the money. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at businessricardo. This SBS on the money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.